Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And before I do anything, I want to thank everyone who reached out to me and had kept me in your prayers and well wishes for me feeling better. And, and I want to apologize for the uh, Mickey Mouse effort, I should say. Or Mickey, I wasn't, well, that's not right. It wasn't an effort. It was Mickey Mouse results for last week's show because I uh, I actually felt terrible. I mean, I uh, basically uh, just about collapsed when I, after I shut the soundboard on. And the next day, I was even worse. So I want to thank you so much. I'm feeling better right now. Thank God. And uh, I'd say I'm probably about 75 or 80 percent, but the good Lord is uh, keeping me upright. <laughs> That's all that counts. So hopefully everything is going well with you and with your operation and with your life. And, uh, and then again, I want to uh, just say thank you. I was humbled by everyone who reached out to me with well wishes. Greatly, greatly appreciate that. And uh, it just makes me truly feel like we are family here at Idle Chatter. So it's a, one, a wonderful feeling. Thank you so much. But we have a couple of winners I need to announce for the Hot Rod Farmer License Plate Contest. And it's Mr. Dwayne Kimball from Callaway, Nebraska. And I know that Dwayne has been a longtime listener to the show. And then Mr. Peter Martinez from Tempe, Arizona. And uh, he is a longtime reader of me in uh, car magazines. And he, I don't believe that he farms over in Tempe. Probably would be the most you'd probably have in Tempe is a garden. Um, and I'm not laughing, but um, sometimes people give an address and they're outside. But I believe that Mr. Martinez is not in agriculture, but he is a hot rod farmer nonetheless. So Mr. Kimball and Mr. Martinez, please reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. And uh, we'll go on to the website and just fill out that form. So I have your mailing address and I can get you out your Hot Rod Farmer license plate. I will, with great glee, bring that over to the post office. So, uh, and if you want to enter that contest, just go to my website and fill out that form. And if you tell me where you listen from, I will put a pin in my map with your name on it, or, or just about where you are, right? Because lots of times it's small towns, small rural areas, and then you can't find the exact place. So uh, like Mr. Kevin Judd did from Manitoba, he just gave me a general location of where he was then i put a pin there and uh, and you will get into the drawing and i will announce you on the radio show farm machinery digest radio and also on the podcast and i also want to tell you that if you're not a listener to farm machinery digest radio and i'm not trying to barrage you with a whole bunch of my content but you should check that out you don't need to be a serious xm subscriber or have a serious xm radio in your vehicle or your tractor or or an app for it you just need to go to my website and this shows one week after they post you'll be a week behind schedule but they're only half hour shows so it's 24 minutes of content and six minutes of commercials and the reason why I'm suggesting that you listen to those also. And it's also on different podcast hosting sites. But I have a method to my madness is because my whole goal here, my whole mission statement is to educate you. And I know a number of you do listen to both and I greatly appreciate that. And keep in mind that I keep the content of each episode. It's not in, they're not 
they're not the same. So this week's Farm Machinery Digest Radio is not going to be the same as Idle Chatter or vice versa. So they're different, different shows. And it gives you the opportunity to get a little bit more education. And the other thing that I'm going to ask you to do, me a favor, please, is that uh, check out the website. There's a, over 100 technical articles on there. There's Toolbox Test. There's my blog. There's a lot of content there that if you're only listening to the podcast and not going to the website, then you're only getting part of the story. So I ask you to please visit the website, read some articles. Like I said, they're designed to be very web-friendly. They're designed to be um, mobile device-friendly. So you could look at that and you could continue your education because this is a continuing education. And it's just like, you know, as a Christian, right, you go to church on Sunday and you sit in the pews and you listen to the sermon and you sing some hymns, that don't make you a Christian. It's the way you, it's how you connect with God during the, the other six days of the week or six and a half days of the week. Do you, do you, do you have a relationship with Christ our Savior? Do you pray? Do you read your scriptures? Going, being a pew warmer on Sunday is not what being a Christian is about. So it's your relationship with Christ. And in the same token, God forgive me for making that analogy, is that it's wonderful and I'm so grateful that you're listening to Farm Machinery Digest. I mean, listen to not the, the radio or the podcast, but there's a lot of content there that's really it's really going to help you. And even if it doesn't help you today, you would say, geez, there's an article there about what EGR, article about air conditioner surface or something, or, or residual thermal stress in metals. And they, like I said, I'm repeating it, they're designed to be short reads, four, three, four, five-minute reads, and not theses, all right? So please check that out. And if you check it out, let me know whether you like it or if there's any content on there that you would want me to, um, to add all right so that basically is that and on today's show let me see what i have my list over here well we're going to do we have a letter and that will letter if i didn't mess this up okay is uh, from jason and he's a long time listener and he's out in long island new york and he has a question about his ford focus power shift transmission and he knows that i have a fiesta and they share the same basic transmission the ratios may be different because it's two different engines and different weight class cars but the same basic dna of that power shift transmission and he has some questions about so we're going to get textual benowitz and he had a hot rod man get him playing again because we haven't done a uh special delivery letter in a while just just because the way the shows have been going i haven't been integrating them which is a uh, my fault but as i always say is i oh i get back to everyone if anyone contacts me i always get back to them and i do the best i can to help them so never think that that's the case that's going into la la land i'm gonna take a drink of water here and also uh the company that i use for my soundboard road i use a roadcaster they just sent an email out and they have a new one roadcaster pro it's a roadcaster pro pro 2 and it's got a lot of other features in it so who knows maybe a couple of months down the road it didn't come out yet right so maybe you don't buy the first one but uh i who knows maybe i will invest in that there's a lot of there's a lot of features that uh can make my show better not as far as the content is concerned but you know you're always looking to get the audio quality better you're always looking to add different things and they have a you know what i have on here 
well, I use that dragster, is not a cough button, it's a pause button. And that's why I don't use it, because it kind of screws things up, pardon my French. And like I said, I, I never liked it, and it resets, and it just it gets to be a nightmare. So I'm actually afraid of that thing. And that's why I use the top fuel dragster sound. But this new one supposedly has a cough button, so hey, we'll see what happens. But maybe I will invest in that down the road, who knows. And uh, the problem is, is that I am not an audio engineer, and I need to connect. I've been trying to connect when I started this journey with somebody who's an audio engineer, and to hire them to come down to my farmhouse here the office where i do, do my recording even though this is not in an ideal environment it's it's cement block wall and what have you it's not not cinder block because we have to build it with cement block and they're filled with concrete by new jersey law you could put a bomb you could put a a, a nuclear uh, reactor on top of my foundation here but anyway uh is that even though it's not an ideal environment for for recording it is the environment hey like they say you farm with the horses you have it's the environment that i have but if i got somebody who really knows who's a sound engineer since i don't other than when i go on the road which i'm not too concerned with at all i'm not that i'm not concerned with but those work out okay uh because you never know where you're going to be to do that is that i could tweak my soundboard settings and all of the settings in here to optimize my recordings in this environment because I'm doing it at the same spot all the time. So uh, so I've been always trying to get somebody to do that and uh, I, don't, I, I don't know, maybe they're not, the people I've I've spoken to, maybe they're not as knowledgeable as, as I think they are. I don't know, you would tend to think if I said to somebody, look, I just want you to come over here, it's, set this up and we spend an hour i'll give you cash whatever hey it's in the irs and hear that i'll give you cash let's tweak this thing and let's dial it all up right and um oh i don't do that i don't do this i don't do that so who the heck knows? i'm a musician i do music in a studio well if you do music in a studio then you should be able to do this this is real easy there's no music so who knows but i probably would not invest in that new soundboard until i was to have a relationship with someone because that's this thing here is like a kid's toy compared to all the settings in there and i don't know what i'm talking about i'm a comet content guy i'm a farmer i'm a hot rod guy so that is that and then also let me see i'm going to banter around a little bit but what today's episode is going to be about and then we're going to go away from that for a few minutes is that is there a hybrid in your future and what the impetus for this was that I just spent a week in a 2022 Ford Maverick hybrid. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later, but the thing really, really, really impressed me. And to tell you the truth, I didn't think I was going to be impressed. By, I think I was going to be impressed. I knew, I felt I was going to be impressed by the truck. I didn't feel I was going to be impressed by the drivetrain. So that really, really impressed me. And then they picked that up yesterday at the farm here and they dropped off they that was a xl no that was a lariat luxury package whatever thirty eight thousand dollar truck right the base truck is nineteen thousand nine so let's say twenty thousand this truck was almost double the base truck and uh oh excuse me and they dropped off an xl which is the stripper one but an eco boost xl 
so that i just got yesterday and uh, i'm going to be doing a comparison between the two and the xl is the one i'm going to do the load test on because the chassis the suspension is the same makes no difference if it's so it's easy they could carry the 15 1600 pounds for what says or the damn thing is going to bust in half right so i'm going to do that uh this week so i could uh, get that done before they picked it up so i'm going to put one of my totes in there ibc tote and i'll fill it up with water well i won't fill it up because it's 275 gallons i'll do the math so it'll probably be a little bit less than 200 gallons of water and then i'm going to strap it in there i'm going to take it on my road test route of 42 miles and see how this bad boy does and i'll do that with the eco boost not that the hybrid couldn't do it but like i say i'm i'm concerned with the truck's ability to haul the load safely not how fast it accelerates with it because that eco boost was pretty quick i mean the uh hybrid was pretty quick also and the other thing <clears throat> i was cutting down my cover crop the other day i have my four plantings in the one field and then i let the cover crop at the most i was blessed with the most beautiful cover crop i've ever had on this farm it was the uh, triticale and the crimson clover <clears throat> it also had <clears throat> it excuse me it also had tillage radish in it but that for the most part didn't overwinter that died but the triticale was almost five uh, probably four and a half feet high almost five feet yeah probably close to five feet high maybe 52 56 inches and the crimson clover was about four feet high it was gorgeous it was absolutely gorgeous and the neighbor said boys you should bail that up and uh so i mowed that down the other day and the good lord was with me because if anybody's mowed hay or mowed anything like that and and to me i mean you know you know who i am that animals are my kryptonite and I always pray, literally, I'm not saying it, I'm, I'm not just saying it as a figure of speech, I'm saying it literally. I always pray when I go into the field to cut a, cut a cover crop down like that, that I don't run over a fawn or a mama, mama hen with baby turkeys because they, the mothers will, if, will put, as you know on the farm, the mothers will put the fawns there or the baby fox or the baby turkeys and she'll go out and do what she has to do and they'll be safe because of the cover uh, because of the dense cover and i just said to myself you know if i were to run something over uh, I, about four years ago i almost ran over a fawn thank god by god's grace i didn't and i shut the tractor off and i went away for a couple hours then mommy came and got the fawn and took her away but uh so i was just praying that i mean i would have been literally in a happy hatch with everything that's been going on here with my animals with donald with bella dying with donald still not back yet but we're not giving up hope we're praying that donald is going to come back that and just with the kid and just whatever you know the drill you know what i you know what what i'm about so and uh if i would have ran over something and killed it oh god forget about it i would have just said take me to the i would have had a nervous breakdown it really just would have pushed me over the edge so thank god that was that that went well but for the first time my tractor put the overheat light on never before have i seen the overheat light go on and when i was cutting the uh it doesn't have gauges it's the base model so it's a gear drive when you had the uh if you got the hydrostatic transmission the d the deluxe that gave you a temperature gauge just has just an idiot light you know well, well we call it an, an automotive a telltale it's not an idiot light the telltale and i was cutting the uh the crop down like i said it was high it was beautiful it was dense oh it was gorgeous 
and uh, so proud of that cover crop. I was blessed with that cover crop. But anyway, um, a lot of biomass on that field, a lot of organic material laying up on laying on top of that that uh, that soil. So I'm cutting it, and then the light goes on, so I shut it off right away. And I went out and I looked, and the whole the grill and the grill and then the, the screen in front of the radiator was covered it's not really chaff i'm not going to call it chaff but um it looked like sawdust it was because the triticale had gone into seed already and it was yellow like looked like yellow sawdust was from the triticale so uh you know i have in that tract and the reason i'm telling you is uh, for years since it was new and i did business many years ago with and i did uh they're a customer of mine and helped them do some research and wrote a book and uh just helped them on the engineering side with evans coolant so i've had evans coolant which was npg non-aqueous propylene glycol in that tractor since probably it was a year old when i got it. and it's a 2002 i bought it new i mean to, to the bohax farm that's new i know to most of you that's old but i bought it new it looks like brand new it only has just under four thousand hours has been a great tractor here on the farm love it to pieces i wax it i do everything to it stay shedded uh never had the light on so now the interesting thing about the evans coolant is that that doesn't boil to 375 degrees with no pressure and remember every time you put a pound of pressure on a liquid so for every pound of pressure you're going to raise the boiling point 15 degrees so if you had a three pound radiator cap you'd raise the boiling point you know 45 degrees so at that so the evans doesn't boil there's no water and it's non-aqueous propylene glycol the non-aqueous is this stuff is this is the old evans i'm going to put a caveat onto that the formula is no longer the same i haven't done business with them for a number of years so i have no idea whether it's good bad or indifferent i'm not going to misrepresent it i'm not going to say it's the new formula is great i'm not going to say the new formula is terrible or bad or what have you but i have the old formula and that stuff was oh man that stuff was fantastic so this thing doesn't so the so the, the coolant got hot because the radiator was completely blocked and this sucker's working for hours mowing mowing this cover crop down with a rotary cutter i wish i had a i'd love to cut it with a sickle bar mower but i don't have one and it doesn't you know you, you're farming small acres it doesn't pay to go buy a sickle bar mower to use it one day a year so anyway but I said, boy, nothing. I don't smell anything. Because that, that that Evans is very, very aromatic. You could smell what you could smell it. They don't smell anything. Nothing. So I let it cool off, or what I perceived as cool off. Uh, opened the hood and uh, took a rest in the field and started right up. And I went back up to the house and took the screen out because you have to take the air and take duck off to get the screen out there's a duck that goes to the air filter so i did that and put it. everything was fine thank god but the point that i'm getting at so let's say that light goes on at 250 that coolant is 125 degrees below boiling point and what that means to you as an engine guy that even if i ran that sucker with that light on let's say arguably it was 250 260 let's say it was 300 right arguably forgetting it but but you know that heat transfers into the oil but as far as the cylinder head is concerned that thing is not overheating the coolant temperature is elevated high enough to put the light on because the light may be and they don't tell you anything in these books whether the light comes on at 250 or 265 it's like you know it's like the like the army you don't need to know that just when the light goes on shut it off so uh 
But that's what's such a nice safety net with that Evans is that I had no worries whatsoever of hurting this motor because it didn't it didn't superheat the combustion chamber or the head gas or anything because it doesn't boil. So just think of it as a better sponge. So it's a sponge that absorbs more heat. So uh, did that and got that all done. And uh, then I was uh, able to, to put my fertilizer down, my burn down, what have you. But anyway, let's talk about other stuff instead of my farm. But uh, real quickly, Kevin Judd, and he's from Manitoba, and uh, he was gave me a pin in my map last week, and I guess I was the impetus for him buying a used 2007 Ranger, and it's a four-liter Ranger. <clears throat> he sent me a picture of it. I'm going to just clear my throat, excuse me. You guys are going to probably want me to buy that new soundboard. You don't have to hit a dragster, right? <clears throat> so it's got 270,000 kilometers on it. And I, I think I think that's probably, I didn't do the math, but I think it's like, let me get my, my calculator here. I really should have, I should really know those numbers better. 270, I think it's times 0.6. So uh, I think it's probably about 160,000 miles, but I may be wrong. But uh, I should have done a little bit more due diligence here. You know, my metric to English conversion. So what I want to do is, Kevin, you know, when you're buying a, tr a used vehicle, this goes to everybody, not just Kevin, that doesn't have to be with a Ranger. What I suggest that you do, and I know he's going to go through the truck, and God willing, it'll be a good truck for him, is that you have to assume that the person didn't take good care of it, or they took marginal care of it. So one of the things people neglect today and for many years not just today the past 20 or 30 years is they don't change the coolant and and just keep in mind that the that the ability of the coolant to not freeze is not an indicator of its potency of its additive package and then what will happen is that you get a lot of corrosion inside the engine you'll have you'll get some electrolytic effect not necessarily the electrolytic electrolysis from a bad ground and a chemical electrolytic effect which will end up eating the head gasket eating the radiator eating the heater core all right eat an intake manifold gasket if there's water when we say water coolant in the intake manifold so change the coolant on it all right what i would also do is run two or three tankfuls of tecron or another good fuel systems cleaner to get the valves clean and the injectors clean i would clean the throttle body and uh, the throttle plates and the auxiliary air valve 2007 should not be drive by wire it should have an auxiliary air valve on it and i would clean the throttle plates you could use the throttle body cleaner or carburetor cleaner and then i would buy a can of mass airflow sensor cleaner the only one that i know is from crc there may be another brand and clean the mass airflow sensor and i would also put new primary oxygen sensors in it and then the other stuff, change the oil or whatever, fuel filter, what have you. But those are the items that people neglect, and that's going to make or break that truck. So whenever you buy, like this is not Ford Ranger specific. This is with anything, all right, is that you want to do that because most people will not have done that. And then as the oxygen sensor skews, it drives the engine richer. You start to wash the oil off the cylinder walls. You get worse fuel economy you plug the catalytic converter no good the oxygen sensor is a consumable the coolant needs to be refreshed 
all right, and uh, clean the mass airflow sensor, clean the throttle pl plates, the throttle body, and then also hit it. You can't overdose it with the Tecron with some type of fuel system additive. You want you have to remember two hundred seventy thousand kilometers of use. Whether my math is right or wrong, you know, from two thousand seven, the truck is going to have deposits on the valves the piston crowns and on the injectors and you're not going to take that off with 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 15 ounces or 20 ounces of an additive such as tecron in one tank full of fuel so please do that and if you have any issues kevin or need any other suggestions but that's a good protocol for any time you're buying a used vehicle Ready? so now let's talk about is there a hybrid in your future and the thing is that um, I've driven a number of hybrid vehicles. I haven't driven a Prius. I rode in one. I rode in one a couple of times. I haven't. I, I'm not a big fan of Toyota. Um, I know a number of you listeners are, but I'm, I don't particularly. I'm not a big fan of Toyota. I'm not saying that they're personally. I don't think they're better than anything else. All right, I think that we need, you know, are there good Toyotas and bad Toyotas? Of course. Are there good Dodges and bad Dodges? Of course. So, But personally, I'm not, like I said, whatever. I'm not here to talk about brand loyalty. But Toyota kind of brought the Prius to market, the hybrid to market, and they, they got known for that, even though it wasn't 100% of their technology. But kudos to them, because back over 20 years ago, they brought the first Prius, to the first hybrid to market. And actually, believe it or not, the military had something like back in the 50s. But oftentimes with these technologies is that you have to wait for other things to catch up. So you have to wait for the battery technology to catch up. You have to wait for engine management to catch up because it's you can't control this stuff with a bunch of levers, right? And then you need to wait for electric motor technology to catch up. So a lot of things have to catch up. So conceptually, things are there, but they may not really have, they're nowhere near to their full potential because the other things that need to happen have not happened yet so i guess it's like life right so yeah you, you're a young man you want to meet a pretty girl and get married and have a family but you're not ready to do that at 15 years old all right so maybe not even ready to do that at 35 years old who knows but so the prius and then the other hybrids then ford was big with hybrids and then they were probably the second one on the market and believe it or not contrary to what the escape hybrid was the first one to come out the escape and mariner i think it was around 19 i mean 2005 and um a lot of that technology you know people thought it was toyota technology believe it or not not all of the technology some of that technology that toyota used on the prius was actually licensed from ford but ford never got credit for it. that's really what happens in the business community when you're the first one out with something you kind of own that technology you don't legally own it but to the public in the uh, in the the court of public appeal of public public opinion is that you own it you know you're the you're the you're the hybrid company you're the this company you're the that company and sometimes they the, the company isn't but lots of times it is not it's just that they brought it to market first so anyway but and then uh the early hybrids like anything were, were very good they proved to be reliable but I, I i don't know i guess they in a nutshell if you did a lot of highway driving 
they probably didn't give you that much value. They were meant more to be because the, it would alternate between running off the electric motor, running off a combination of the gas motor and electric motor, and then running off strictly of, off the gasoline engine. And then Chevy came out with the Vault. Now, the Vault was not a hybrid. People called it a hybrid. The Vault was gorgeous, and especially the, the second-generation Vault. And that worked like a locomotive for all intents and purposes, but it was a little bit more complicated than that. Excuse me. Because the Vault actually used a gasoline engine to run a generator to run the electric motor. And then it had a combination of evoking those together like a hybrid whereas that's really not the way a hybrid what they do with a hybrid is they put a low powered uh, internal combustion engine and they and they have the ability to assist it with the electric motor and then it's certain driving scenarios like around town or in the city that you'd be able to drive without the gasoline engine and you'd and you would just be using the electric engine that's where hey sure if you shut it off <laughs> right so you're going to get better fuel economy right because you're not using any fuel but the odometer is rolling forward and then so i was never a big fan of hybrids and then uh i, I mean i shouldn't say i wasn't a big fan of them i felt that for my audience in a rural area that they'd probably be marginal marginal benefit to them and you're adding a lot of complexity to the vehicle there's no denying that so and then ford came out with the fusion hybrid which i didn't do anything with i didn't get one i don't know why i didn't to test and uh, what have you so but like anything in life don't listen to what i just said to you about what happened 25 years ago because it's a different world and this Maverick hybrid really drove that home to me. Now, last year, I had a Ford F-150 Power Boost, which was a hybrid also. And, I, and I'm and i not going to say that I wasn't impressed by it. I, I just saw a lot of complication and a lot of expense. And you have to realize in engineering, when you look at something, when you have complication, that's potential problem areas. So just like if you have five kids which my wife and i have none if you're a listener then you have five times the problems right you have five cars you have 500 acres versus 10 acres well you have you have you know you have 50 times the problems potential problems not problems potential problems so in engineering we use the acronym kiss keep it simple stupid is that you know the more complexity you put in something the more likelihood or the more possibility of something going wrong and whatever that even could be something like a very simplistic but it causes a lot of problems and the best analogy i make is when i teach this is that over the years in my career as an auto mechanic in the auto industry and doing things i never once had to fix a crank window in a car never once the only time i ever fixed a crank window is that the early hyundai's the cranks used to break the plastic was such junk that the but you just had to pop the clip off and take the door apart and buy a new handle and new crank handle put on but all my years i never fixed a, a crank window because nothing ever broke with them and then with power windows i fixed many a power windows on my wife's car i put two power window motors in the driver's side since she well that's the old zx2 it's 22 years old now but anyway but i never had to fix a crank window so you know using that analogy is that you say to yourself well you complicate something you put a hybrid drivetrain on it and you know are you really going to have a you personally the one who's writing the check not me not the guy in in los angeles are you going to glean any intrinsic value from it and i always felt that you didn't because the early hybrids were were, were 
were very underpowered and that they they didn't they returned much better fuel economy in the city obviously than they did on the highway and i don't think that their highway fuel economy like an early prius or the, the early ford escape with the hybrid really was that stellar for so for all of the tech all of the added complexity that came into play and then <clears throat> what happened was last year i got the ford power boost pickup truck the road test i mean it was a beautiful truck i mean it went like stink i mean it had uh you figured 450 horsepower eco uh twin turbo 3.5 eco boost and almost another 100 horsepower with the electric motor 80 horsepower i think it was 80 so i mean the thing was it was, it was, it was a four-door uh not a king ranch the other one limited the platinum the top of the line i mean i think probably weighed nine thousand pounds i mean it would throw you in a they would throw you in a seat but i did my you know my regular farmer road test with that and i would get 24 miles per gallon around on my rural route you know rural to in town route and i took it on my highway loop with my wife she loved the seats had those massaging seats but uh, got 24 miles per gallon and that was basically in essence what ford had it rated for they had it for 24 24 and historically i'm telling you all this because it's leading up to something and you know historically i always beat the beat the epa ratings with every car i've even when i worked for bmw and test drove for them i'd always beat their beat their ratings always all right and it has to do with how you drive it's not that you got this that you got there took you longer to get there it's how you drive and one day i'll go into that i did about a year or two ago so but the the ford echo boost whatever power boost f-150 i got exactly i could not beat the epa ratings it was 24 24 and to tell you the truth i had other ford pickup trucks that i road tested i had a chevy and uh, something else and on the highway without all that technology i got 24 miles per gallon so i had a i had a uh, f-150 limited with the raptor motor and i got 24 miles gallon. i had a uh, Silverado with a 5.3, and I got 24, 25 miles per gallon with that. So I really, I wasn't that impressed with that. With that, and I mean, granted, they didn't get 24 miles per gallon around town, whereas the F-150 Power Boost did. So now, fast forward, and if you listen, if you go to my website, I have an article now. They did a podcast on, so you can listen to that. Is that I felt for my audience, it wasn't worth the, the complexity and the expense. So now fast forward to last week, I get the Maverick Hybrid. Well, the hybrid, the Maverick Hybrid is unbelievable. And all of these new hybrids are really, really unbelievable and have the potential to really give you a lot of value. And you know, a week ago, I would not have said that to you. So you may be saying to yourself, Hot Rod, what the heck are you talking about? Because you only had the F-150 power boost last year, 2021, and you're, and you're saying all these later, all these ones are really give you great value. Well, I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. Is that most the, first of all, the battery technology, the electric motor technology, and specifically with the Maverick, and and i'm doing a whole road test show on my radio show and remember you don't have to go to have serious to listen to that so i'm not going to cover it here i'm just going to say this show today is about is there a potential of a hybrid in your future 
And I have to honestly say yes. And there's a potential of a hybrid in my future, which last week at this time, I would have said, no way, Jose. Is that the engine, the electric motor technology, the management technology, and the battery technology has come to such an extent that you can truly glean a wonderful cost savings and what's specifically interesting with the maverick is that the hybrid powertrain is standard if you want the regular engine you got to pay a thousand dollars more which is the ecoboost two liter so that's standard so the basic truck comes with a hybrid powertrain in it and you know i i when ford said they were doing it, i thought they were nuts but after driving it for 600 miles i'd say they, they were not nuts the thing is killer so but the point is that to get to the crux of it that the the way these systems are today is that the electric motor greatly assists the gasoline motor even at, at highway speeds even though they did that before but it was like minimal assist all right and this is really 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 assisted and this little maverick and this was a loaded one it was almost thirty-eight thousand dollars. it was a lariat luxury at 18 inch tires on it and like as you'll listen to the other when when i post a radio show and it becomes a podcast listen to that i want to talk about hybrid here this sucker on my rural test route which is 42 miles i go down route 80 to columbia to the truck stop and i take route 46 home all right it's my test route it's 42 miles round trip well it's like it's let's say it's 42 miles and the first tank not the first tank the first i ran it six or seven times the worst mileage i got was 48.9 on that test route and the best was 54.9 and it averaged out to about 52 miles per gallon and i'm driving the, the legal limit and the operative word here is legal i'm not going 80 miles an hour on route 80 when the speed limit's 65 when i'm on route 46 if the speed limit says 45 i'm going 45 i'm not going 65 so i'm driving the truck legally and then when i went on my highway test route <clears throat> just get some water out into pennsylvania which is arguably 135 miles one way it's it's 90 percent of it is on interstate 80 and there's another 10 to 12 miles on secondary roads i go to the lake and i turn around and come back right the don maverick so i'm going 65 miles per hour and then for the last about 15 or 20 miles the speed limit bumps up to 70 so i'm running you know 68 to 72 i'm driving with my foot i mean i'm not i'm not going 80 miles and i'm not going 75 so i'm driving it i'm physically driving the car no cruise control the don maverick on the highway got 47.4 miles per gallon and i think i could have gotten a little bit better but it was i was bucking a headwind so this is absolutely insane so how are they doing this because that's not even truly a really aerodynamic body i mean it's very very square it's a pickup truck so it's very very square so the thing is that what i would say to you now a couple before i explain to you about the hybrid powertrain in general not just not the ford but the hybrid powertrain in general is that a couple of caveats i want to attach that what i did learn what i did see what i was able to to i to substantiate is probably a better word is that the fuel economy is very very sensitive to the weather conditions so 
the 48.9, I don't have my numbers in front of me, that I got on my local test route. That day, was we had a heat, we had a little bit of a heat wave come through, which was good because it pushed my corn up out of the ground. 94 degrees. So the more you run the air conditioner on one of those hybrid applications, <clears throat> the greater the impact you are going to have on fuel economy. And that impact is going to be much greater than it would be on an internal combustion engine. You could run the air conditioner today. The parasitic drain from the air conditioner is so little that on my Fiesta, whatever you have, that you could run the AC. And you, I mean, it, you may get a mile per gallon difference, and sometimes you don't even get any difference whatsoever because if you're running on the highway with the windows closed, the aerodynamics are better. But I did see in the day I got 54. 4.9 miles per gallon on the same test route i run the test same test route every day it was like 62 63 degrees and i had the vent on the other thing is keep in mind is that you're going to have the same degradation of fuel economies with a hybrid you'll have it with anything but once the weather turns cold so the so the temperate weather is going to be your best mileage and the things that know is this going to go from 47 point let's say 48 miles per gallon on the highway down to 28 no it's not going to all right but you're not going to hit your stellar numbers with the, with in the extreme cold and the extreme heat all right so keep that in mind and the other thing is that it is going to be very sensitive to the way you drive and the way you drive means how hard you accelerate but I'd, i i you know how fast you're going so i was going 65 miles per hour and then the last 10 miles so 70 on route 80 got 47.4 all right if you're running that sucker in nebraska and you're on 75 80 90 miles an hour you're not getting 47.4 all right i don't know what you're going to get maybe you get 37.4 i have no idea but if that were gas you'd probably be getting 27 so the differential of the fuel economy being there is going to be very valid it's just that you're not going to get the stellar numbers with it uh, when under those conditions. So keep that in mind. One of my lights are flashing. Now we have a storm going on. All I got to do is lose uh, this whole podcast. <laughs> God forbid it. But anyway, so that's that. The other thing I want you to keep in mind, which is, which, which is just an FYI, you know, so many times today, people say, oh, it's the same crap, it's the same crap. What difference does it make? Well, interestingly enough, when you look at the underhood decal on the Maverick, the Ford Maverick for the air conditioner system, is that the AC system in, they both use the same, the same refrigerant. It's that new one, R124, I mean, R1234, I think YA or some kind of crazy thing like that. But, but the, the capacity of this system was lower with the hybrid and then it was then it is with the EcoBoost because they give you the same sticker underneath the hood regardless it's not going to print the special sticker and then believe it or not each one used two different refrigerant oils and you would not tend to think that just that it was a, that it's using the same refrigerant but it's using a different refrigerant oil so the take home message here is that with this modern equipment, whether it's farm equipment, whether it's cars, trucks, tractors, whether it's your gen set, that you really need to look at what the manufacturer recommends. Because if you were to pull a Maverick in five years from now and do an AC service 
on it and the sticker came off or the car, car was in a collision or it just faded out and the guy was like, oh, same thing as another one over there, same thing, same oil in there, Joey, don't worry about it. And it was, it was a different refrigerant oil. And by putting a different refrigerant, there's something going on there where they change that refrigerant oil when they're using the same refrigerant. So like I said, that's a, an aside to this. But, you know, don't just think it's all the same. And, you know, from years ago, oh, it's all the same garbage, all the same stuff. Don't worry about it. Just pour it in there. Use that. All right. It's a different world. And I've said this many times on this podcast and on the radio show. It's a different world. So the thing is that <clears throat> where is this stellar fuel economy coming from? Well, it's coming from a number of different areas. All right. It's coming from the, the engine management system and the CVT transmission doesn't do what you think it's going to do so if you're like me and you try to reverse engineer calibration in your mind you'll go nuts with it but it doesn't do what what you how you think it's going to respond but ultimately it's very effective and uh the amount of mileage so i wrote it i was able to accumulate 167 miles under electric power in almost 600 miles of driving rural driving whereas so that means that it says electric power doesn't mean it ran only on electric power so if i'm pulling a long grade on route 80 what it's doing is that the algorithm they have must be the calibration this thing must have more computing power than the space than the original space shuttle had all right so it looks at everything and it's able to modulate because it's because regardless of what your foot is doing on the gas pedal you have to remember that that's that's going to open and close a throttle. So it modulates that and gives assist through the electric. So that's why you're able to get such great fuel economy. Whereas years ago, they had that ability, but not to this extent. All right, so they really have this stuff nailed down. And I thought it was fantastic. All right, fantastic that they were able to, to do all of this. Now, what I want to talk about is that, that every hybrid, that I shouldn't say every hybrid, most true hybrids, don't use the gasoline or the IC engine is not an auto cycle engine. You say, what the heck is an auto cycle? Well, that's the four strokes, buddy. Nicholas Otto invented it back years ago. I don't remember back in the 1800s or something. So it's called an auto cycle engine. So the four strokes are actually called auto, O-T-T-O. So it's an auto cycle engine. But what most hybrids, I'm not going to say all of them, and that's why I'm telling you this is because not all hybrids are using an Atkinson cycle engine. So the true hybrids also, the, this used an Atkinson cycle. The F-150 EcoBoost does not use an Atkinson cycle engine, uses an auto cycle engine. There's so many hybrids, Hyundais, Toyotas, Nissans, whatever, have Mitsubishis, uh, Ram has that power assist. So what you want to look at and see if it has an Atkinson cycle engine. Say, how am I going to know if it's an Atkinson cycle? Well, they're going to tell you somewhere in the brochure or in the specifications. They'll say 3.5 liter Atkinson cycle engine, 2.5 liter Atkinson cycle engine. Because to be, I'm not going to say not to be a true hybrid, to get the best fuel economy gain from it is that it has to be an Atkinson cycle engine. So you say, what the heck is an Atkinson cycle engine? Well, basically, it's a it's a it's a modified auto cycle, but it's called an Atkinson. 
So whereas on a traditional engine, and you can't tell by looking at it that it's Atkinson, right? So it doesn't look something like a Mazda rotary or something like that. These oh, it's got, it doesn't have pistons, right? Whereas an auto cycle, a conventional engine, the valve, the in, we're talking about the, the intake valve closes as the piston goes towards top dead center. With an Atkinson cycle engine, it's what's called an over-expanded intake stroke that the intake valve stays open a little bit longer. And so what this does is, is the piston starts to go up the top dead center, all right, is that because the intake valve is open, there's less of a pumping loss. But what is happening is you're pushing some of that fuel charge back into the intake manifold. So you may say, well, hey, that's not good. Well, what it's going to do, it doesn't get wasted. It goes into the next cylinder. So by keeping this overexpanded intake stroke, it, there is less pumping pumping loss. Remember, in every engine, there's a thermal loss, a frictional loss, and a pumping loss. And whatever is left over is what goes to the flywheel. So they're minimizing the pumping work the pumping loss with the Atkinson cycle by having what in engineering they call it an overexpanded intake stroke, meaning the valve, the intake valve is staying open as the piston starts to go a certain amount of distance up towards top dead center, and then it closes it. All right, and then it's going to push some of that charge back into the plenum of the intake manifold, but it's going to be there for the next cylinder. So the the Atkinson cycle, but has an exhaust stroke valve event that works the same as an auto cycle so what the hybrid is doing because if you look at this all right that i wrote 600 miles let's say arguably 166 on electric electric assist but the atkinson now the atkinson cycle engine is giving me more fuel economy and now the f-150 power boost did not use an atkinson cycle engine it used an auto cycle engine but it had a hybrid transmission or hybrid electric motor hooked up to a regular 10-speed transmission so i'm not going to say it's not a hybrid it's a quasi hybrid so you want to really look at you really want an atkinson cycle engine and when you look at an atkinson cycle engine the 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 what you're really comparing is what's um, you know people talk about compression ratio and there's also something called expansion ratio so it's a, it's a compa- it's comparison comparison compa- comparing the compression ratio versus the expansion ratio and in a normal auto cycle engine they're both the same on a on a atkinson cycle the compression ratio is less than the expansion ratio so there is less residual pressure left over. So it, it's hard for me to explain this on a podcast without drawings of a piston and what have you, but just keep this in mind, all right? Let's make it simple. Kiss, keep it simple, right? The thing is that a true hybrid has a more efficient internal combustion engine as far as the fuel economy is concerned. The problem with an Atkinson cycle engine is that its specific output, its horsepower and its torque are less, but they're minimizing the pumping losses, but that the horsepower and torque are not really too concerned because they're assisting it with the electric motor. So this overexpanded, this overexpanded intake stroke is 
what is allowing this, this these hybrids and the advanced electric motor, advanced batteries, and then the the tuning, the algorithm, the engine management strategy is unbelievable. I mean, I guarantee in the right conditions with this, and it's a square body, you could get 60 miles per gallon out of that Maverick hybrid. All right, so the thing is that put that in an aerodynamic, smaller, lighter vehicle, you'd probably be pushing 75, 80, 100 miles per gallon under proper conditions. I'm not going to say all the time. So it is that Atkinson cycle engine. Now, years ago, if you're an engine guy, Mazda came out with, and it was about 20 years ago, and they called it a Miller cycle. Well, it wasn't a hybrid. A Miller cycle is an Atkinson cycle engine, all right, overexpanded intake stroke that has a supercharger connected to it. So there's forced induction. So that's a Miller cycle engine. But now the Atkinson cycle is a combination of the camshaft grind, the, the, the way the lobe is, 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 is designed and ground, and then also the phase of the camshaft. Now on a, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> on a modern auto cycle engine, and <clears throat> back a few years ago, I was talking to an engineer, engine guy at Ford, at the uh, auto show and uh with the with variable cam timing so for instance you look at my fiesta for example look at most modern ic engines all right they have gasoline uh in spark ignition engines they have variable cam timing all right so intake if it's multiple cams intake and exhaust and what they could actually do is start to move the cams to such a level specifically the intake cam that they can approach, and as he had said to me, that we can approach an Atkinson cycle, but we're not 100% Atkinson. This is not with a hybrid. This is with your Mustang. This is with your F-150, your Chevy Silverado, whatever, all right? Your Lincoln, your Lexus, whatever it may be. So the thing is that <clears throat> he said to me, we can approach, we could get about 90% there, if I remember correctly, he said to me, of an Atkinson cycle with variable cam timing. So the thing is that anybody that has a more modern, like my Fiesta, intake and exhaust cam, so yeah, I'm getting this stellar fuel economy, all right, the, because of they're able to approach under certain conditions, they're able to approach get about 90% of a, of a of an Atkinson cycle even though it's still an auto cycle so they're over expanding the intake stroke and allowing that to give you some efficiencies there but we're losing some thermal efficiency but we're gaining pumping efficiency so it's just like anything like you as a farmer right you say well you know if I put an extra shot of uh, <clears throat> fungicide in here I may get whatever three more bushels per acre because the crop has a little bit of disease that field over there has no disease i put extra shot of fungicide in there i'm getting nothing from it i'm just spending money and riding in the field and compacting the field and if this one is look has a lot of disease i may be able to save the crop so it's always a balancing act in engineering but the take-home message here before we go into jason's question is that you really need if you're in the market you need to look at if there is a hybrid available, but you need to do your research and make sure that it's that it's an Atkinson cycle engine and how that hybrid drivetrain operates, because there is a substantial substantial fuel savings 
as far as that is concerned and but keep in mind that it's going to be weather much more weather dependent all engines are hot and cold cold hot because of the air conditioning cold because of the the extra friction through the air and the battery being reduced on power from the temperature change all right and it's going to be critical to how you drive but if you drive let's say this maverick the same way whether it's a just an ic engine or a hybrid i mean you're going to have that same differential so it really is very 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 impressed and like i said the f-150 power boost not knocking it i know ram has something they call it something else i haven't driven it because they won't give me a truck all right <laughs> so uh is that i don't think that they're atkinson cycle engines but if you look at a true hybrid it has an atkinson cycle engine which is the over expanded so basically a very late closing of the intake valve and that is where they're getting the fuel efficiency from and then they're asking that engine to work less because they're aiding it with this advanced electric motor technology and advanced battery technology and the algorithm the control logic kudos man whoever wrote those calibrations i mean like for this maverick i mean dead nuts on the money i mean unbelievable and it's un, un unbelievable so that is basically it and if you have any questions on it please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com so now we're going to bring tex rubinowitzen he's the hot rod man no he's got millicycle there Alrighty, in Texas, some Ripsaw Records. So check them out. If you go to my website, go click on that Whip Ripsaw Records. He has a lot of oldies there. Not not Beach Boys oldies, but I guess like the Rockabilly, they call it, right? Real real great people. And uh, that song from Tex Rubinowitz was used in a, a movie. And it was used in an Anko Wiper Blade commercial years ago. And now it is with the, now they so graciously allowing me to use it on my radio show and the podcast. So <clears throat> we have this letter from Jason and he's out in New York. And uh, he says, I don't know if this is the forum to ask a mechanical question for the podcast. And first of all, to not only Jason but everybody else that's listening, yes, this is the forum. I don't care if you send it to me by for the podcast, for Carrier Pigeon or what have you, is that my whole goal, my mission, is to try to do what I can to help you. I don't have all the answers, but just know that any way that you get a, get a question to me, I will do my best to put it to answer you and help you. So he says, my daily driver is a 2016 Ford Focus sedan, with a 2.0 flex fuel, flex fuel meaning that it's a E85 engine, naturally naturally aspirated motor, and a six-speed power shift transmission. Now, what the power shift transmission is, not for Jason's benefit, but for everybody else, is it's a dual-clutch transmission. And dual-clutch transmissions have been around for years, and they were basically made, or I should say basically found early on in motorcycles, and then a number of companies came up with them and Ford really pushed that. And what the what the power shift transmission is, Ford, it drives like an automatic. So you put it in D, but it's basically a manual transmission, this dual clutch transmission, which is a little bit too complicated. 
it's not too complicated. It's not complicated. It's too complicated without visuals to explain to you. And it shifts by itself. So you could say, well, hot rod and automatic shifts by itself. Yes, but it's completely different because an or true automatic transmission shifts on hydraulic fluid. This does not use hydraulic fluid to shift at the Ford power shift transmission. It's basically a manual transmission. It has solenoids that will shift it. You drive it like a regular automatic. You put it in gear, you put it D and low, you put it in drive, you could give it, I could give it to Charlotte and she could drive it. Well, she she doesn't know, wouldn't know what's going on. The average person doesn't know what's going on with it. You, I don't mean that derogatorily. You go to the stoplight, you put your foot on the brake, there's no torque converter that disengages, of a lever disengages the clutch inside and there's, and there's two planetaries and two sets of clutches, all right? So that's what I call power shift because it drives like an automatic. You operate like an automatic, but it is not an automatic. It's a manual transmission that is six-speed manual transmission that is shifting itself. So now let me continue with his letter. So I think this is the same transmission that you have in your Fiesta. And yes, it is. I think the ratios are different, but it is the same. He's correct. I've had to replace the clutch pack twice under warranty and haven't had any issues in almost 100,000 miles now, but I'm always weary that there is a failure lurking. I'd be curious if you've ever had any issues with yours and if you would explain the problem that was inherent with this transmission. So, alrighty, <clears throat> I'm going to give you uh, the 10-cent uh, the, uh, tour on it because I probably only have about 15 cents worth of knowledge on it. To answer your question, Jason, number one is I had zero, zero problems. I have 200, I don't know, maybe two, not, I don't think 220, two, uh, two something, 215, uh, 215,000 miles on my power shift in my Fiesta, had zero, zero issues with it. My buddy, Bobby Ida, has his Ford GT, what, 600,000, has a, version of a power shift transmission and that had no issues with so to answer your question i had no issues with it whatsoever but there's a couple of things that come into mind that i want to i want to share with you jason but i also want to share with the rest of the audience because somebody may have a fiesta or a or a focus or somebody know what this transmission is that well the first thing that i want to say to you is that there that, the, that there are clutches in it now keep in mind that a clutch is considered a consumable so a clutch is not designed you may brag and uh, that you personally but personally, well i got three hundred thousand miles on, on a manual transmission never put a clutch in yet but that just like with brake shoes or brake pads is that they are designed that they are designed to wear so the whole idea of say of having a power shift transmission a ford power shift transmission that if you kept the vehicle long enough that you will probably have to put a clutch in it but it should so even though you have no problem with it if they replaced it under warranty is that is that i don't don't think that there's a problem lurking think that there's a problem not a problem that the clutch will eventually the clutches will eventually wear out now automatic transmissions have clutches also and they do wear out but this but if you were to look at the power shift clutch it almost resembles a clutch like in a manual transmission so the, so the clutch is considered a consumable so if you have a problem with your power shift jason and I, you said in 100,000 miles, you haven't had an issue. So I don't know how many miles are on the car now, but I'm assuming more than 100,000 miles. 
is that it's very possible in the next 40, 50, next 100,000, maybe at 250,000 miles, that that clutch will wear out and will need to be replaced. You should not look at that as something to be afraid of. Well, yes, like you could say, well, it's going to cost me $1,000 or something to do it, but it's probably not going to cost you any more than a clutch job would have been on a conventional car if you're using good parts and doing the job right. So the clutches are consumables and they will wear out. The next thing that comes that I want to bring up to you is that what I believe had happened is why you had issues is that there was some seals that leaked. Now the power shift transmission has a special fluid in it, a special oil, but it's a lubricant and a cooling agent. It's not used as a working fluid in an automatic transmission, a true automatic transmission fluid. The ATF is used not only as a lubricant and as a coolant, but as a working fluid. It accomplishes something. It's like a hydraulic fluid on a tractor or a backhoe. It's working, it's doing something, or a hydraulic braking system. So that hydraulic fluid and automatic transmission is used in the torque converts, used to engage the clutches, right? It's in it's used to to shift it where that is not the case with the power shift transmission. The fluid is there as a lubricant and there's a coolant. So the thing that keeps in mind is that 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 when I have to change mine is that that fluid will need to be renewed because it's going to lose it's going to lose its additive package like any lubricant. It's going to get it's going to get moisture wicked into it. It's going to have a lot of things happen to it from just thermal cycles and from use but so that is that now the thing is that from what i understand is that they ford had some they that it's a ford zf transmission so that they had some issues with some seals leaking and then what would happen is that you'd get a lot of chatter with the clutch because the seal would leak and you'd put some oil on the clutch it would be no different than having a 64 ford or chevy or dodge pickup truck and you'd have a rear main leaking and you'd throw some oil on the clutch and you'd have some slipping and some chatter so that is one of the things that would happen is that they had some seal issues that would leak mine never leaked thank god i never had any issues with it whatsoever all right so so now that you have a hundred thousand miles with the seal issues are no longer there and historically in any whether it's a farm tractor or no matter what it is all right car truck or whatever it is is that historically when you have a problem like that it's because and i said it many times before it's the vendor changed the specifications because with all of these companies on cable it's ford toyota john deere case ih kubota they test this stuff ad nauseum and they test it and they say okay we want to seal with this type of material and this blah, 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 and they send it out and they have it made and the vendor changes the specifications says all right we don't have that we're going to make it like this they're not going to know the difference and when they send them the sample they send them the sample to check it it's okay fine yeah this is it the good that meets specifications and they say okay now make us a million of these and they make the first five hundred thousand i'm not saying that they're devious they make the first five hundred thousand properly and then the guy goes hey joey we ran out of that special glue how did i use that other stuff that's on the shelf right just like i was saying in the beginning with the refrigerant not the beginning a while back with refrigerant oil whereas the maverick 2.5 hybrid has a different refrigerant oil than the 2.5 eco boost with the same refrigerant all right hey joey put the same one in there right don't make no difference all the same damn thing so that is usually what happens 
But the other thing that comes into mind, and it's one of the reasons why everybody got rid of the dual clutch transmission, and this is no disrespect, Jason, whatsoever, and you may be doing everything correctly, is that you really know have to know how to drive it. <coughs> and one of the things is that you cannot do is you cannot use it as a hill holder. So if you so if you are let's say at a stoplight and you and you're and you're putting a little bit of throttle on to hold the car steady and i'm not saying you're doing that jason all right like some people do you're not supposed to do it with an automatic transmission also because you're going to heat up the tor the fluid in the torque of it's going to shear it's going to shear i'm not share shear tear all right is that you're slipping those clutches that would be like you with a manual transmission sitting at a stoplight on a hill and just keeping the clutch burning a little bit or slipping the clutch so the vehicle doesn't move so the most important one of the most important things is that you do not ever want to use that power shift transmission to hold the vehicle at from rolling forward or backwards the other thing is that the type of driving you will do is going to also impact the way that tr those clutches last because if you were to drive let's say in los angeles and you had whatever in a hundred thousand miles i'm making up a number one million shifts in a hundred thousand miles versus a guy who lives in montana and in a hundred thousand miles has eighty thousand shifts all right then you obviously going to get a lot of wear because that clutch is just like a, I guess like a manual transmission when you shift gears you're going to slip that clutch a little bit it's going to slip a little bit that's the nature of it. it's not going to go boom it's going to come in it's going to slide in whether it rotates 10 or 15 degrees it's going to slide in so the more shifts that you have then the then you're going to have more wear on that clutch you know versus one guy who's on a puts it in goes into sixth gear and he drives to 500 miles and it never comes out of sixth gear so if you jason are doing a lot of in town city driving you're going to have more wear on the clutches and the same thing happens with tires and people don't on this don't realize that that when you drive a lot in town and you're turning and you're starting and starting and stopping you're not burning all you're burning rubber all right you're not smoking the tires but the fact is the idea when you go and you're turning a lot that you're scrubbing that tire versus a guy who's running down the highway most of the time when you're starting and stopping your that tread is is even though you're not slamming on the brakes you're doing it very easy you're wearing that tire out at a higher rate than you would somebody who's running down the road now the other thing as far as driving is concerned one of the things with the <clears throat> dual dual clutch transmission is that for the most part you want to complete the action so and, and and if you're driving in town or in the city you may not be able to do this but you don't want to get a habit of having it start to shift and then get out of the throttle and get back in the throttle you 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 have to drive it a little bit differently than you would an automatic transmission because that's going to make it very jerky it's going to jerk and it's going to be like a stick shift car when you're going too slow and you're going to lug it so i know lots of times i'll pull into a parking lot and then i'll see that that i start to step on it and it's in the it, this doesn't happen all the time right scenario in the wrong gear so instead of trying to force it and lug it for it to jerk i release the throttle I release the throttle and roll slowly back into it and let the transmission go back into the, the the lower gear by itself because it was right at the point where it wanted to shift or you had 
you had not enough road speed and you were lugging it. <clears throat> so you can actually <clears throat> lug this transmission by not driving it properly, which is going to it's going to heat up the clutch element. It's going to put hot spots on it. It's going to make it not act smoothly. It's going to make it wear excessively. And it's going to also make it act where it's going to chatter because you put hot spots on it. So, so you put that all together and the driving scenario and the driving logic, all right, is something that you really need to try to tailor and and that is why so i would say personally i love my power shift transmission i would say it's a successful failure and and, and i'm using the word failure very kindly because the transmission was not a failure is that there were too many caveats attached attached to that so if you gave the car to you know mrs jones and she's used to for 30 years going on a hill and putting a little bit of gas and because she's to hold the car there she's going to burn those clutches out if she's used to doing that with an automatic transmission the torque converter is going to be a lot more forgiving than that dual clutch because it'd be like riding the clutch i mean my friends at the four there said to me uh, you, you have any problems i got no problems whatsoever with mine all right but the, but they but they're a little bit too sensitive you have to know how to drive them i'm not implying jason that you don't know how to drive it keep in mind if the car is a good car <clears throat> and x amount of miles from now you have to put clutches in it that's like saying i gotta put brake pads in it or i have to put clutches in it don't look at it as a negative yeah it's a negative you're writing a check i'm not going to deny that but it's not meant to last forever and if you do a lot of in-town driving you may want to get that fluid changed all right it's a special fluid only from ford don't go put something else into it <clears throat> and um excuse me and you should be right and and just like a diesel engine you know i'm going to make an analogy is when gm came out with the diesel engines let me just get a drink of water here <clears throat> when gm came out with those ozenbill diesel engines they had a lot of problems with them the only thing that was really wrong with that engine to be quite honest with you was that they used a timing chain they should have used two gears or three gear well they should have put it gear to gear because they used a timing chain and the timing chain would stretch and then it would skew the injection pump timing because it was it was run off the gear the cam gear just like a distributor would have been but anyway but the 99 percent of the problems other than that with those gm diesel engines were as my father would say if he was the life pilot era the people <coughs> who bought them and i see that today with diesel pickup trucks the people who bought them should never ever own a diesel or never have owned a diesel they don't like short trips they don't like they don't they, they build they don't take longer to build heat they had a there's a lot of issues a diesel is meant to run they need the fuel to be additized they have all of those things that babysitting that has to happen with a diesel that would not happen with a gasoline so if you bought an oldsmobile delta 88 and you had the had the the oldsmobile gasoline engine in it all right versus the oldsmobile diesel engine and the diesel was not meant for everybody who said well i go two miles to here i go to the supermarket i do this to that that thing was problematic because of the way it was used and i'd say the same thing is with the dual clutch transmissions is that given the right scenario i'm out in the country i'm on the farm maybe if i lived in the city and i drove it a lot like that that i wouldn't that i wouldn't uh, uh 
be as much in love with it but those things as far as the way you drive it and you'll learn it'll learn if you haven't done it already it'll teach you how to drive it'll teach you what it likes and what it doesn't like and usually it's just the idea of the throttle modulation and letting it either complete what it wanted to do if it's in the middle of shifting let it complete its shift release the throttle let it complete its shift and then roll back into the throttle very very easily like i said it's not it's not a safety hazard it's nothing so if you have hopefully i answered your question and if not please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com but it is not a problematic transmission and i wouldn't worry about it whatsoever and if you like the car if everything else so down the road you have to put clutches in it it's not a failure it's a wear item like a set of tires so listen guys i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america and i thank you all for your prayers and well wishes and i pray that the good lord keeps you and blesses you have a great day bye bye